Well, I want to welcome you back to our sessions this afternoon. Um, I'm excited to be here. My name is Janice Watson, as most of you know. Um, let me tell you just a little bit about myself so you have some sense of who you're spending the next couple of hours with. I um, currently, as in for the last five weeks, uh, teach at Oakwood University. I'm brand new, my first time in the South, so I'm adjusting to the weather and the mountains and all kinds of other interesting things. I may tell you my mountain story a little later in the presentation. Um, prior to that, I spent 20-something years at, Oak, at Andrews University teaching there and doing educational administration, and God has allowed me the privilege, and I count it both a privilege and a responsibility to travel and speak. So I've had the privilege to speak with women on several continents, in small groups and in large groups. And so some of the things that we're going to be talking about today will reflect what I've been hearing from women around the world on some of the issues that we deal with and we're going to be addressing today. So I'm excited to be here. Um, in some ways, this has been one of the more difficult presentations that I have prepared and done. And my interpretation of that is that's probably because what we have to say is important. And so pray with me as we share and we talk and as we work together. Shall we pray? Father God, we thank you for your presence. We thank you for these Sabbath hours and for the ways in which you have already ministered to us. We thank you for the gifts that you've given so lavishly throughout these several days. And we ask that your spirit would hover here in a special way. You know our needs. You know each woman here and their individual needs. Speak to our hearts. Father, you know me. Cleanse my tongue. Cleanse my heart. Empty me of anything that would block your message getting to your people. And when all has been said and done, we promise to give you all the honor and all the glory. Speak to us. We promise to listen and we promise to obey. Amen. When they, actually before I begin, I need to make a personal service announcement. You know how sometimes in church or before the service, somebody will get up and say, you know, there's a car in the parking lot with its lights on car license number XXXX, and if that's not your car, you don't pay it any attention. But if it is your car, you respond to it. Well, I have one of those kinds of announcements. If it's for you, receive it. If it's not yours, that's okay. Yours will come again. Typically when I'm preparing for a presentation, somewhere in that process, I'll get a song, and I don't sing. So when something comes to me through music, it's unusual for me because I'm more a word person than a music person. And I believe it was Monday morning, it's six something in the morning and I was driving into work and I'm still trying to find stations in Huntsville because I'm new and I don't know what they are. So I'm turning to religious stations just at random. And a song came on and it spoke to my heart that day. And I took it as a message for me and then on Thursday and Friday, I came back, 
and I heard it on a different radio station in a different version. And then I heard it a third time. And I'm like, okay, Lord, I'm getting the message. And at that point, it was, yes, and somebody else needs it. So if this is your message, this is your public service announcement. The song said, I almost let go. I felt like I just couldn't take life anymore. My problems had me bound. Depression weighed me down. God held me close so I wouldn't let go. God's mercy kept me so I wouldn't let go. I almost gave up. I was right at the edge of the breakthrough, but I couldn't see. The devil really had me. Jesus came and grabbed me. He held me close so I wouldn't let go. God's mercy kept me so I wouldn't let go. And it concludes, I'm here today because God kept me. I'm alive today only because of his grace. If you're holding on by your fingernails to something, and we're off topic and that's okay. If you're holding on and you're not quite sure how you're going to make it, the message for you is God's holding on to you. And he's holding on to you so you don't let go. I don't know who you are, but I've been praying for you since Thursday. And um, if that's your message, receive it. When they called me and asked me to come to this conference, I'd never been to Southern. Sounded like a good idea. And I was in Ohio, and it was going to be warm down here. And I said, sure, yeah, I'd love to come. And then she said, and we would like you to talk about being a godly woman. I breathed deeply. You know, I had just said, yeah, I'd love to come. <laughs> and... I thought about it, and immediately, all kinds of things started coming to my mind. And the first thing I thought is, why are they asking me? I'm not married. I'm not a mother. Why are they asking me? Because, you know, when they ask about the godly woman, don't they want you to come and talk about Proverbs 31? When I was growing up, when they had Women's Day, they had this and this, and they talked about the godly woman, it was always Proverbs 31. And there was a very clear image that I had in mind based on that of what the godly woman, and you know, you're growing up, you do these kinds of images. What's the stereotype that you hear, that you see of what a godly woman is like? And this is interactive, by the way. So I will ask questions and my students will tell you and then I wait. And I'll wait till it gets painful in here. I'm very good at that. Yes. There's a superwoman. When you read Proverbs 31, there truly is the superwoman. She gets up early in the morning. She stays up late at night. Her husband thinks she's awesome and boasts about her all the time. Her children say good things. Now, honestly, those of you who have husbands and children, sometimes they say good things about you. <laughs> but I don't know anybody whose husband and children praise her all the time. And she's spinning things, and she's cooking things, and she's managing other people, and she's, she sews, and she spins. I mean, uh. And in a little bit, I'll tell you why that was so uh, to me at the time. So one concept that we have is that the godly woman is superwoman. She does everything. 
and she does everything well. Okay? What's the other stereotype? There's at least another one out there. What does the voice of a godly woman sound like? She's sweet, and she's quiet, and she's soft-spoken, and her voice is sometimes very high. You know, when you listen to the godly women on the Christian radio stations, don't they mostly have really high voices? And they speak very softly. Am I wrong? I can almost, when I turn a station, even if I don't know who it is, I can often say, with a few exceptions, oh, this must be a Christian woman. <laughs> so she's got the quiet voice. What else? Submissive. She's submissive, which means that people get to walk over her. What else? She speaks words of wisdom. Everything that comes out of her mouth is weighty. Okay. What else? She dresses modestly. And when I was a child, that meant to me that she dressed like Mrs. White. <laughs> Up here, down here, down there, you know. And preferably with the hair in the bun. Okay. You're a child. And hopefully when we grew up, we put away childish things. But we were children, all right? And we could generate a long list, probably, of that meek, quiet, godly woman. Yes? yes. Now, is the, godly, is the godly woman a successful woman? Yes. Okay. Does she fit the stereotype of a successful woman? According to her, she's successful. According to God, she's successful. Right? What is the prevailing stereotype of a successful woman? And remember, we're talking stereotypes. Aggressive, independent, educated. Someone said smart. Anything else? She's financially secure. Anything else? Now, do those cross over? Because I don't remember any of these over here. Or over here. Yes, I can see it on your face, yes. She is independent because she considers a field independent and uh, planted. So, would you say that your superwoman, Proverbs 31 woman, is independent, financially secure? We find ourselves kind of in the middle here. And then, I, don't, I won't ask you to raise your hand, although I'm tempted. How many of you fit the stereotype? Now, you can look at me already and tell that I don't fit it very well. <laughs> My hair will not go into a bun. Believe me, I've tried. Okay. 
My voice will never be high. I haven't tried. It sounded so bad. And, you know, I haven't quite made it to the Mrs. White thing. You know, I mean, not that version of it. And so, here, like many of you, I get an F. And so people say, well, okay, if I can't do this, well, maybe I can do this. I can be a little bit of everything. I can cook, I can keep house, I can make my husband happy. I can, and you know, I looked at the superwoman and I started to go down the checklist. Her husband rises up and, no. Okay. She cooks and da-da-da. Yeah, she kind of cooks. But compared to my mother and my sister and all these wonderful women in my life who are phenomenal cooks, they decorate, they, and when they were busy doing all of that, I was in the corner reading a book and studying math. Okay. So after a while, I go down the checklist, and maybe it's not quite an F. It's probably running close to a D. <laughs> you know, for academics, that just will not fly. And even when I go to this model, somehow that model doesn't work for me either. So where do you go, and what is it? And what does it look like? And what difference does it make in your life? That's what we're addressing this first session. I'm going to suggest to you that the place where we have often begun to talk about godly women is to talk about what she does. And the Proverbs 31 woman, the way we have traditionally heard it, if you grew up in the same tradition that I did, was all about what she did. She does this, she does this, she does this, she does this. And I'm gonna suggest to you that that model, the way it has often been presented, notice I didn't say what the Bible is doing. I said the way it has often been presented begins in the wrong place. Over the last, ooh, I'm going to say it out loud, probably 25 years or so, as I've traveled and spoken to women and so forth and so on, and sat in corners and listened to women, there are five areas that we struggle with in some form or fashion. All of the questions from all of these women over all of this time, I have fit into those five different areas. What do you think they are? What are the areas that we struggle with? Trying to figure out how to con- what God's model is and then how to conform to it. Okay? And I'm actually going to put that as a subcategory of roles. The question of roles and submission. What other areas? Relationships. Relationships. I know that I can never go anywhere to speak and leave without at least one discussion about relationships. And I'll tell you, I don't think it's ever been one either. What else? Okay. She said contentment, and I'm going to put that along with Success and the definitions of success. Because to the degree that we see ourselves as successful, 
in whatever system that is, we see ourselves as content. Right? We're looking for two more. You're doing really well on my list anyway. So we've talked about relationships, we've talked about roles, we've talked about success. Spirituality, okay. And I'm going to tie that to our first category. This is interesting. Okay, and I'm gonna put that in this category as well. Thank you. Identity. Okay. And the last one is typically the one that the first questions come to me about. Somewhere in there, somebody wants to talk about appearance. Yeah, what should we wear? What should we not wear? Isn't it wrong that so-and-so is wearing that? Okay. Inevitably, the question of appearance will come up. Let me suggest to you that in God's system, the question of identity is the fundamental question. Not the question of what to do, not the question of what to wear, although those questions are important, but in God's system, when he starts to talk to you about being his woman, his first issue, is identity. And I'm also going to suggest that in our society today, the question of identity is the critical question that's separating women around the world. Just this past week, I, um, I have to share this with you. I got cable. I've never had cable before. And I got cable because three ABNs on cable where I live. And I got cable, and it's turning out to be a very interesting thing. I'm not sure how long it's going to live at my house. <laughs> but it does, there is a documentary channel. And on the documentary channel, or maybe it was on BBC, I saw a documentary that was entitled, I Have Two Moms, Who Used to Be Dads. And it's a story of a 12-year-old girl who actually narrates this documentary, a 12-year-old girl in England whose father and mother got divorced. The mother, the father had a sex change and is now living with a man who had a sex change. So this little girl has two mothers, both of whom used to be men. And it's a very interesting documentary because part of why she says she did it was so that people would understand that they were a normal family. What? She wanted us to know that this was a healthy, normal family. The question of identity, the question of sexual identity, the question of what it means to be female, what it means to be a woman is central to our society. Where does God begin to establish the identity of women? In Eden. In Eden, right from the very beginning. And he 
establishes the first facet of our identity by saying, what does he tell us right at the beginning? Well, there's the help meet. But even before you get to the help meet, what do you know about humans? Okay, it's not good for man to be alone. Earlier than that, it's a human issue, not a male-female issue, a human issue. Humans were created in the image of God. Don't get to the help meet before you get to the image of God. Are you with me? Our primary identity is not help meet. I didn't say it wasn't a part of our identity. But our primary identity is not help meet. Because in Eden, male and female created he them in his image. What does that mean? That you were created in the image of God. We say it all the time. What does it mean? He wants us to be like him. In fact, we were created like him. And it's important for us to make the distinction between before the fall and after the fall. Because our identity was established before the fall. It was marred by the fall. But our identity is established before the fall. And one of the things that Sister White says, that the purpose of true education is to do what? Restore the image of God in man. To bring us back to our true identity. What does it mean that you were created in the image of God? What about God did he create in us? You're in his image. In what way are you like him? When he created human beings in the beginning, in what ways did he create us like him? The desire to be loved and to love. What else? What distinguishes us from animals? Choice, free will. What else? Reason. The ability to think, make decisions. All human beings are created in the image of God with the ability to reason for themselves and make decisions. Why is that important when we're talking about identity? Why am I pushing that? Isn't that a duh? Isn't that an obvious thing? You're, on, you're in that after lunch mode. I can tell. It's not an obvious thing because in our society and our culture, a lot of us have the misconception that we're supposed to do what the man or what it's not an obvious thing for exactly that reason. Any identity that suggests that we do not have the ability or the right to reason and make decisions is not biblical. Are you seeing that? That the fact that God established our identity there, and he established our identity to allow us to be in relationship with him and in relationship with each other. Fundamental. Now, what is the opposing identity out there? 
Because in each of these areas, what I'm going to suggest is we live in the middle of a clash. And part of the challenges that we have have to do with that clash. The idea that we have a concept, but there's another concept out there competing with the concept that we already have. Your identity is established by the fact that you were created by God, by the fact that you were redeemed by God after the fall. So our identity is not set in our fallenness, right? But in the redemption, okay? So the question of who am I? Is answered by daughter of God. Daughter of God is not a role. It's not something you do. It's something you are. It's a part of your identity. And as his daughter built into it a certain sorts of things that we must not take for granted. Right? Built into the fact that you are a daughter of God is also the idea that you have worth. And that worth is built on, where does your worth come from? Who God is. And the worth that God has attached to us. The concept of self-esteem is a concept that is relatively recent. I need to develop my self-esteem. I need to build my self-esteem. Um, I had an experience the other day that was a little shocking to me. There was a little child, she was probably eight years old, and I had spoken to her about something. And in my opinion, she was very, very rude in how she responded. And I said to the mother, you know, I talked to so-and-so, and so-and-so said, blah, 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 blah. And the mother said, well, I encourage her to speak her mind because she needs to develop her self-esteem. She needs to know that she has worth. And the way that she knows she has worth is in her ability to speak her mind in that way. Okay. Because her worth is going to be based on her ability to be independent, her ability to articulate what she wants, and her ability to push for what she wants. Is that reflecting your understanding? When I go out to find myself, isn't it partially to determine what I need, what I want, and how I can get what I need and what I want? But the Bible says that our identity is not based on that. If you go to, let's go to 1 Peter, very quickly. And of course, I'm in a different Bible. Here we go. First Peter, starting verse 2, where he says that he's speaking to the elect, who are elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctification of the Spirit. And in verse 4, he says, to an inheritance that is incorruptible. And Peter starts to lay out your identity and what your identity is based on. And he says, based on these things, you should see yourself as a princess. 
you know, when, when I first heard that, I'm like, oh yeah, with the little, the little tiaras, and I, I'm like, I'm not that. I'm not into the little tiaras. But then, the more that I think about it, there are only two ways to become a princess. One is, you're born into it, marriage. There's only two ways to become a princess. If you're born into it, it's yours. It's not based on anything you did. You were a princess at the point that you were born. And I want us to understand that about the rebirth, that you are a princess at the moment of your rebirth with all the privilege, privileges and rights that adhere. So the question is not whether or not we are. The question is, do we know what to do with it? Because you know something about being a princess? It carries with it a level of confidence unmatched. When you walk into a room, you know who you are. My daddy's the king, and I'm here. Why should that not be our attitude? My daddy is the king, and I'm here. I may serve you. I may do for you. My daddy's the king, and I'm here. And you can't change that. If you know totally and completely that you are his, and as Peter says, he has chosen you, he has called you, then the level of confidence that you have is amazing. You do not need to worry about self-esteem because you have God confidence. And God confidence says that I know that God can and will do whatever he wants to do through whoever he wants to do it through. What's the implication for you? That means God can use you to do whatever he wants. My daddy is the king and I'm here. He can use you to do all of the kinds of things that we think we can't do. When was the last time you said, I don't think I can do that? Some of you said it yesterday because I was there when you said it. And some of you said it today, I just missed it. Having the knowledge that our identity makes us princesses with attitude allows you to, with confidence, do anything that God calls you to do. It is unnecessary for godly women to have to go to assertiveness training and so forth and so on to develop the right to speak. We have the right to speak. We have to be careful of what we say. We have the right to speak because my daddy, and I'm here. And so when God says to you, speak for me, and we say, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm too young to say anything. They're not going to listen to me. You know, I'm old now. The young people don't listen to the old people. And, you know, people don't like fat people. And we have a list. I'm the wrong color. I'm the wrong age. Lord, you didn't give me enough education. When I get my degree, I will speak. 
And he's saying, I asked you to speak because you are my child, you're already chosen, and I have given you what you need. So those of you who are worried about whether or not you can do, whether or not you should do, understand that one of the consequences of being a princess is that your empowerment is built in. When, when feminism came out, Feminism came out in response to a very real situation. In every single country in the world, in every single generation, women have been subjugated. There have always been some women who lead, but there have always been women who have been subjugated, dominated by men. And feminists said, okay, women are disempowered, Women are undervalued. Women are being mistreated. We have an answer. And the answer was empowerment training. The answer was to teach them to understand that they're in charge. The answer was to have them understand that they were equal to men and allow them to operate in those ways. Did it work? No. Some of us are just richer and more educated and subjugated. What was God's answer to that? God's answer to that was you don't have to go and look for it because you already have it. God does not support, condone, ever require or allow domination and subjugation. So whenever it occurs, whether it occurs within religious systems or with outside of religious systems, that is outside of God's will. And God says, don't allow it for you because you are a princess. My daddy is God and you're here and you have the right to be here. You have responsibilities and we'll talk about those responsibilities, but you have the right to be here. Are you understanding why identity is the primary question? Who am I? Now let me ask you another question. How would your life change if you operated in total God confidence? What would be different in your life? If you truly believed that God could do anything and he could do anything through you, what would change? How many of you worry about how you look and what your body's like? What does God confidence say to that? Your identity has nothing to do with how you look. You are elected, you are created, you are called, you are chosen, no matter how you look. So put on whatever you need to put on, hold your head up, and walk in that body that you have. You're a princess no matter what size you wear. When I was little, I was a princess. Now that I am less little, I am a princess. And when I go back to being little, praise God, I will still be a princess. Are you hearing me? It is a lie that your size or your shape or your color or your hair has anything to do with who you are. And to the degree that we allow it to define who we are, we make God a liar. Mm -hmm. 
When God created, God looked at what he had made and he said, it was good. There was something fundamentally good. And when you are reborn into him, he looks at you and he says, my daughter, and it's good. Yeah, there's some things that we're going to work on. There's things that we're going to polish and shape and tighten and fix. But you know what? It's fundamentally good. Do you hear me? You do not need self-esteem training. God looks at you and says, he does not say that all that what we do is good or that what we think is good. He does not say that we are God. But within you is that spark that God has created in his image. And our job is to develop that image to build on that image. Because later when we talk about relationships, when we talk about all of those kinds of things, it only works if you have God confidence. You can't talk about submission without God confidence. I'm not willing to talk to you about men until you understand God confidence. Because when we start talking about men, you will need it. (laughs) Okay? You're going to need it. Another thing that God confidence does is allows you to be countercultural. The identity of a godly woman is countercultural. Peter tells us we were taken out. We were a special people. We are chosen. Okay. But you can't be countercultural if you're worried about what everybody thinks. And some of us are struggling to be godly women because of what other people think. You know, you tried to wear that longer dress and they laughed and asked you if you were Mrs. White. So you put it in the back of the closet and put on the other one. And you weren't really going to go there, except that everybody else was going there and nobody else had a problem. And you didn't want to be the only one. I teach freshmen, I used to teach freshmen. And one of the questions I used to ask is, at what point do you turn off the TV if you're watching something and it's too graphic or non-Christian or whatever? You know, at what point do you get up and walk out if there's a movie? What do you say? And I taught at Adventist schools. And 80-something percent of my students say, never. Now, the question I'd ask them before that is, is there a point when it's too much? Too much, whatever it is, and you realize you should not be watching it. 98% said yes. Are, Are you with me here? Are you seeing what's going on? My question then to them was, would you do it if you were alone? And the number of people who would do it if they were alone, turn it off or walk away, increased dramatically. That tells me we don't have enough God confidence yet. Princesses with attitude, princesses who walk in God confidence, do not have to worry about what other people think and other people say. 
We have to worry about our impact on others. But our behavior, our thinking, our self-concept and self-worth are not determined by what other people say. How would your life change? What kind of woman would you be if you didn't have to worry about what other people might say? How would it change your life? I, um, I'll tell you. I wore this skirt last night, and there were some very interesting things about what I had planned to wear today. And so, after the Lord and I had argued for a while, wear it again today. And I'm like, oh, Lord, you know, because da 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 da. And I left the room, walked out, I'm staying with friends, and they have a little girl. And she looked at me and she said, Why are you wearing the same thing that you wore yesterday? You know, children are very honest. <laughs> the adults were probably thinking the same thing, but they didn't say it. And my heart turned. And I thought, everybody's going to be thinking that I wore the same thing that I wore yesterday. I don't have any, you know, and you start to do that. You ever been there? And now my head is all about what I'm wearing and what people will be thinking. And the light went on, ding! Every now and then the Lord has to give you in your face examples. I'm like, Janice, what does it mean to walk in God confidence? It means that you do what the Lord tells you to do no matter what you're wearing and no matter what you think someone's going to say about what you're wearing. It's a little example, but I want you to catch it because so often we live our lives outside of our identity. Our identity only comes up when we come to church. We sit here and someone says, well, what does the Bible say? It says, I'm saved, I'm delivered, I'm loved. But we don't live like that. If the only thing you ever heard me say today, godly women walk in God confidence. Whether they're talking about their relationships, whether they're talking about their appearance, whether they're talking about their roles, fundamentally underlying all of what you do is who you are and whose you are. You know how in the self-esteem movement, you get up in the morning and you look yourself in the mirror and you say, I'm a wonderful person, I'm a good person, I look good, I like the way I look. You can buy tapes that will do it for you. It'll tell you, you're one, no, and they cost like 20 bucks. You're a wonderful person, you're a good person. Are we getting up in the morning and saying, I am God's child, I'm a princess, my daddy is God and I'm here and I will be here all day long? How often do you tell yourself? How often do you remind yourself of who you are? Would our decisions be different if every time I had a decision to make, I stopped and asked myself who I am and then made my decision in the confidence of who I am? Am I making sense to you? Are we talking about somewhere where you live? No? Because if it isn't where you live, if it doesn't affect where you live, decision-making becomes difficult. Most of us make decisions on a pyramid. And at the bottom of that pyramid is whatever the foundation is. 
And for many of us, we're trying to make godly decisions on an ungodly foundation. We've bought into who the world says we are. On one extreme or the other. On one extreme, the world tells us we're not worth anything. We don't have what it takes, we can't do. And on the other extreme, the world tells us, wonderful. You're marvelous, and if you think it, it'll happen. They are both mistaken identities. And to the degree that you function on a mistaken identity, you cannot establish a godly life. Okay? You cannot be the kind of servant you need to be if you don't understand who you are. Because how do you have the humility to not lose your sense of self when you serve others if you don't know who you are? And how do you serve others if you think you're so special that everybody ought to serve you? And when we talk about men, that's going to come up again. Okay. Because the two extremes exist when we talk about men. When God looks at you and he sees his child that he has created, that he has bought with his blood, that he has imbued with a fraction of his intelligence and a percentage of his heart, and that he loves unendingly and unceasingly, he sees someone of unlimited worth. Amen. I didn't say unlimited intelligence. I didn't say unlimited, unlimited worth. And I think he grieves deeply at times when he sees what I've done with what he gave me. Here is this tremendous gift, and he's telling everybody about his child. You know people who do that? They think their child is the smartest, the brightest, the most wonderful. Yeah, their child messes up all the time. They think their child is wonderful, and they're busy telling people about their child. And the child is walking around like this. Because they cannot see themselves the way that God does. In our next session, as you realize now, these get more and more complex in some ways. Okay. In our next session, we're going to take that and move it to relationships and roles. What does it mean that you're a princess when we talk about men? There are other relationships, and I thought about those other relationships, and then I thought, you know what? If I know you, what you really want to talk about is men. Okay. So let's do that. In the next session, we're going to talk about being princesses when it comes to relating to men. Okay. We'll talk a little bit about roles, and I will bring up the S word. We will indeed talk about that. Okay. And in the last session, we will talk a little bit about appearance, and we'll talk about success. Um, yesterday, somebody said to me, are you the person who's coming to talk about what we should wear? 
<laughs> and I almost said no. <laughs> no, I'm the person who's coming to talk about who we are. But who you are does affect what you wear. I may not say what you think I'm going to say. I've been somewhat known for that. But let's take a break. We'll come back in a couple of minutes. Let's talk about men and how we relate to men and how they relate to us. Okay? And then um, we'll go from there. Talk about identity and roles and that kind of thing. <clears throat> but take, what is it, a five minute break in between? Ten. Ten? Ten? Okay. <laughs> 